That was last week. Uh, well, now, today, I want us to shift gears just a bit and, and talk about why, why this concept of beholding is so important. Of course, okay, we talked about this last week, of course, uh, we should behold Jesus. We should behold Christ because he deserves it. Right? He's worthy of it. But there's more to this as well, and it has a significant impact um, on our lives. You see, what you and I need to understand is that we are actually hardwired, created by God to become like the things that capture our awe. That at the very center of us, our core, we are, you and I, are designed to become like the thing or the things that we most behold. Or to put it more simply, and this is the bottom line for today, whatever you behold, you will become. Whatever you behold, you will become. You see, in the, in the garden, when we were made by God, we, we learn there that human beings, male and female, were made in the image of God. Okay, we learn this. And of course, the thing about images is that fundamentally, images, they reflect something or someone, right? And, and so by design, we were made to reflect our creator, to reflect God, to be like him and to become more like him. And in that design, God has made it so that whatever we regularly set our minds upon, whatever draws our attention, whatever captures our awe, will mold you and shape you to that thing. Whatever you behold, you will become. And of course, this is not just me saying this, right? God affirms this as well. And so that's what I hope to show you today. And so if you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, let me invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, just to provide a little bit of background behind this text, we know that things with the church at Corinth were pretty dim, okay, from Paul's perspective. His heart is breaking for this gathering of people. And without going into too much detail on that, Paul's thoughts about this church can be summed up in chapter 11, verse 3, when he says this, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says, he actually says after that, you've already been doing this. And so I'm afraid, I'm afraid it's going to keep happening. I'm worried about you. All that to say, these people, Paul is saying, these people had taken their eyes off of Jesus. That's what Paul says is the root of their problems. They, they stopped fixing their eyes on Christ. They lost their spiritual sincerity, their pure devotion, their Christ-centeredness. And as a result, what happens is all sorts of of, of sin had come into this gathering, all sorts of false teaching, all sorts of dissension, chaos, confusion. The, the church at Corinth was just a total mess. But of course, this is what happens when people lose their focus. 
when a group of people come together and take their attention off of Jesus and the gospel, right? And so in response to that, Paul provides them uh, with three letters, actually. First Corinthians, we are missing Second Corinthians, but we have Third Corinthians, which we call Second Corinthians. And it's full of all this advice of what to do. And, and here, at the end of chapter 3, Paul really unlocks for us the foundation for spiritual growth, the key to getting your life back on track. In many ways, I believe that this passage today serves as the core. It's actually, you might say, it's the starting point for discipleship because it tells us how we can become like Jesus and how we can grow in godliness. So let's read through this passage together. And we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 12. And we'll read it all the way to the end of verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and this is the word of the Lord. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read, or they read, excuse me, the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, there's quite a bit here for us to, to wrestle with. But the core, and we're going to just focus really today on the core, the, the core of what Paul is saying here is, Behold Jesus, is the message from last week. That God is worthy of beholding. And now Paul is saying, behold Jesus. Behold the glory of God. That, it, that if you hold Jesus in view, you will become like him. You'll, you'll think like he thinks. You'll see how he sees. You're, you're, you're going to feel like he feels. This is how we change, how we grow. When you and I behold the glory of God with unveiled face, Paul says, you will be transformed. What you behold is what you become. That's what Paul is saying. But let's break this down a, a little bit more. And our focus is mainly going to be on verse 18. So the Apostle Paul says there, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and then we'll stop there for just a second. I want us to notice, first of all, that what Paul is saying here applies to everybody. That is, all of us who are in Christ. All of us who have made the decision to trust Jesus with our lives. So that's to say, this isn't just for the Apostle Pauls of the world. It's not a message just for pastors or, or elders only. All followers of Jesus have full access to God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ. And this is so significant because actually in the Old Testament, 
that wasn't true. This wasn't the case. You see, in the Old Testament, things were veiled. Right? Things were covered. That's what Paul is getting at here, and starting in verse 12. And we can actually read about this story. It's worth your time in Exodus 34, but I'll summarize it for you. Uh, we know that Moses, this man who had great faith, had times of doubt, made a lot of mistakes, but had great faith. The man who led, with God's help, of course, the Israelites, about two million people, uh, through the Red Sea, out of Egypt. They're wandering around, God, and Moses has this incredible relationship with the Lord. Okay? And what we find there, it might be hard for us to picture this, understand, believe, but what we read here is that Moses would literally, not like spiritually, literally he would go up to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he would go up there to meet with the Lord, okay? uh, meet with God, to, to see him. Okay? But God's glory, we read, was so great, so magnificent, that Moses, God tells Moses, you can only see a part of me, the backside of me, as I walk by you in this cave. Because if you actually see me, look upon my face, right? if you behold me in full glory, you'll, you'll die. Okay? And so Moses is like, deal, it's worth it. right? I'll go up there just to see a part of you. And, and after he, Moses would have this you know, interaction with the Lord, you know, learning, and there's wisdom there, and worship, what we read is that Moses would actually come down from that mountain, and his face was shining like the sun. It was bright after he beheld the Lord. Moses would come down this mountain with God's glory reflected off of his face. In fact, you can see there that in the text that his face was so bright that it actually terrified the Israelites. They were afraid, like, you know, like he looks like some kind of like, I don't know, angelic being or freak. I don't know. Okay, the text doesn't say, but he, they're terrified of him. And so in light of that, because of that, Moses would actually put a veil over his face every time he would come down the mountain. So he's going up to meet the Lord. He'd take the veil off. He'd behold the Lord, worship, learn. He'd come back down the mountain, put the veil on, and then be in front of the people. And he would veil his face, we learn, to symbolize the fact that what he received from the Lord was only a veiled revelation. In other words, not everyone at this time had full access to God and his glory. That's the point. And what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15, is that this veil, this veil is actually still over the hearts of everyone who reads the law of Moses, that's the Old Testament, people who read the Old Testament, but who don't know about Jesus. That veil is still there. In other words, the truth is covered. Those who don't know Christ are blinded to the reality they're blinded to the truth. There's a veil that covers their eyes. But then, Paul says in the next verse, verse 16, that when one turns to the Lord, that veil that covers your eyes is removed. But when one turns to the Lord, he says, the veil is removed. And we need to see the magnitude of this statement here. Okay, it's short, but profound. 
Because get this, this is saying that all that you need, all that you need to know about God, all God wants to disclose about himself, all the beauty of his character, all his attributes, all his love, his loyalty, his mercy, his grace, his power, his wisdom, his compassion, his sympathy, his care. Listen, all of his saving purposes, all of his ability to supply every single thing that we could ever need, all things necessary to save us, all things necessary to empower us, all things necessary to console us, comfort us, all things necessary to equip us, all things necessary to prepare us for service, to prepare us for glory. Everything that we need is unveiled in Jesus Christ when we turn and see Jesus Christ. Or, okay, you could just say, we see God in blazing glory in the face of the person of Jesus Christ. When you and I turn from ourselves, when you make the decision to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you see God. That's what Paul says. And I can't emphasize this point enough. I can't. Before Jesus, there had never, there had never been a clear view of God. Never. But now, we all, we all, Paul says, can have a clear view. The veil of unbelief that covers our eyes can and will be removed when we turn to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you look to Jesus, when you behold Christ, what is the promise for us? Well, Paul tells us clearly, and we all, with unveiled face, here it is, beholding the glory of the Lord, are what? Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, when we behold Jesus with eyes of faith, we are transformed. Transformed there is the word metamorphosis. Okay? It's the Greek word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar who transforms into a butterfly, same word. It means that we are not just renewed, but we are actually made brand new. Okay? And that's got to be very clear for us as followers of Jesus. You know, I think sometimes, this is off my notes, which means I'm in trouble, but uh, <laughs> I think sometimes so many of us, you know, we come to Christ and we picture Jesus in the gospel like we have this broken, run-down car. And then God comes along, and he's like a mechanic, and he just fixes up that car and polishes that old broken car and puts new parts on it and a new engine and changes the transmission, new tires. He's like, great, go, you're, you're, you're new. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that that old car, who you were, is actually crushed, kicked away, thrown out, and you are given a new car. You're not just being made new. You are literally new in Christ. We become more like Jesus, Paul says, when we behold Jesus from one degree of glory to another. 
it means that as we focus on Christ, when we fix our eyes on Christ, God actually does a work in us. Our work, behold him. God's work, sanctify, shape us into the image of his son. He sanctifies us, molds us into Christ-likeness. And notice this as well, that this is an ongoing thing. From glory to glory to glory, it could just keep going. That's how the verse reads. From glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. As we behold Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, as we hold him in view, as we set our hearts on him, we become more like him. And I think this is so important for us to see and realize that this becoming like Christ is not instantaneous. It's progressive. It's from one degree to the next. Step by step, we are moving towards him as we behold him. And so today, maybe you're here and you find yourself in a place of discouragement. Uh, maybe you feel like you're stagnant in your faith. Or, or, or maybe it seems like you're not changing even though you've been following Jesus for years. Hear these words from Paul in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 4, starting in verse 16. To those who are discouraged, he says, So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's a promise. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look now. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, do not lose heart, church. Don't lose heart, followers of Jesus. Keep going. Why? For you are, it's a guarantee, you are being renewed day by day. But what does that depend on? What is that contingent upon? Hinge on. What's the charge here? You need to keep Christ in view, he says again. He says, this happens when we, when you and I look to the things that are unseen, not to the things that are seen. In other words, in other words, you want things to change in your life. You want to live a life that's effective. You want to live a life that's, that's full of purpose. Paul would say, and I'm saying to you, stop watching the world. Stop beholding the things of this world. Stop setting your hearts on things that are temporary. And instead... Give your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strengths to Christ and the things of his kingdom. You know, I think for a lot of us, and I'm including myself here, you know, <laughs> we have the tendency to believe that we can read anything, watch anything, look at anything, do anything, and we'll be fine. Nothing that's of the world can impact me, especially when we get a little bit more mature in our faith. We say, eh, right? I've been walking with Jesus for a pretty long time. I can handle consuming all sorts of, of things. 
Well, listen, listen. I have found in my own life, maybe this is just me, but I have found in my own life that this type of thinking is almost always rooted in either pride or ignorance. It's coming to the place or from a place that says sin, sin could never take a hold of my life and my heart, which is pride. Or it's rooted in a place that just doesn't understand the power and the control that sin can have on your life, which is ignorance. Listen, there's a reason. There is a reason in the scriptures that it tells us that we are to flee, flee, run from sin. So we should never have a heart posture or a disposition that says, well, I don't know, like, where's the line? When it comes to sin, like, where's the line? How far can I go? How close to sin can I get? That's not maturity. That's stupidity. The biblical response is always recognize what sin is from his word, see it, and then turn from it. And don't just turn from it, run from it as far away as you can. And why? Why? Why would the Bible be so extreme about this? Well, again, because whatever you behold is what you become. Whatever captures your heart, whatever takes your awe, that thing will ultimately shape you and change you. And by the way, the scriptures are so clear about this. This isn't like my opinion. Look at this. Look at Psalm 115, starting in verse 4. It says there, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Getting the point here? <laughs> Feet but do not walk. He's just talking about idols. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Now listen to what he says next. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. The psalmist here is talking about people who make idols for themselves, who focus their hearts on idols, and those people who follow or trust in those idols as well, things other than God. And notice what he says here so clearly. We don't need interpretation here. Okay, those who create idols for themselves, those who trust in idols, who look to idols, will become like their idols. Which means, when you fix your eyes, when you give your attention, your heart to things that can't see, can't walk, can't talk, in other words, what he's saying when you give your heart to things that have no value, things that are meaningless, things that are fruitless, you will become just like that. You will become, not to be harsh, but it's the reality, you and your life will become meaningless, unproductive. You will be a fruitless, empty thing. Your life will be empty, purposeless. You'll be just like that idol. See, we are, again, we are hardwired for this. Whatever we set our minds on, 
we are affected and shaped by, which then begs the question today, what holds your awe? What are you choosing to behold? You know, what's really interesting. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how our world in so many ways actually knows this concept way better than us, those of us who follow Jesus. Our world understands that whatever captures our gaze, what holds our awe, not just influences us, but actually changes us. It's why when you walk into a mall and you go into a clothing store, I was going to give the example of like Abercrombie and Fitch back in the day, but like half of you have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'll say like Uniqlo or H&M, whatever. It's why when you walk into those stores, typically at the front end, you see a model there or a picture of a model there or a mannequin with their clothes, right? Like they're highlighting their, their clothes for that season all nicely put together. If you go over those clothes, they're like all pinned in the back actually to make them like look a certain way, right? Those things are meant to. They're intentionally put together like that to capture your eye, right? Marketers put hours and hours of time and research into this. And oftentimes those things do capture our attention or our eye. Right, commercials do this as well, right? You've, you've all seen like the Burger King commercial. You could be a vegan, but the Burger King commercials and the, the burger like flops down and the cheese melts. And you're like, man, I need a burger, right? And you'll go out, right? I really want a burger, right? And you think like, but with, with, with clothes, back to this illustration, the clothes, you'll, you'll look at that, that mannequin or that model and go, wow, they look so good. Or all oh, that, that thing, it looks so good. If I buy that, I'll look like that too. I'll become like that. I'll be seen like that. The way that I see that person, wow. People will look at me and say, wow, right? Or, or maybe a better example, at least for me, is let's take Nike, for example. They understand this concept so well. So what they do is they pick great athletes, the best, very good athletes, and they pay them a ton of money to wear their clothes and to wear their shoes. Or if you're like, say, a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, yeah, I'll focus on Michael Jordan for a second, you actually get your own shoe. And again, they, they pay them literally hundreds of millions of dollars to wear Nike. A couple years ago, LeBron James by Nike was paid $1 billion. It's real. A billion dollars to wear Nike. And why do they do that? Because like Nike's foolish? No. Well, it's because they know, they know that when you and I look at Michael Jordan, we want to be like him. We want to be like Mike. Some of you remember the commercial. We want to be like Mike. Look it up, YouTube it, okay? Like Mike, I want to be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Look it up, okay? 
I'm sick. Give me a break. Why? I can remember as a kid. Right? My, my dad was teaching me how to play basketball. I can remember five years old, six years old, Michael Jordan jersey. Right? I go out and I pretend I was Michael Jordan. I was in awe of him. He inspired me. Right? I looked up to him. Even other famous athletes revere Michael Jordan. I heard one famous athlete say not too long ago about Michael Jordan. He was at this hotel, and Michael Jordan just so happened to walk in the room, uh, into, into the lobby. And he said when Michael Jordan walked into the lobby, the room went silent, literally. The room went silent when Michael walked into the room. He said he can still remember this day, the first time his eyes laid on Michael Jordan. He said this. He said everything stopped. And as Michael walked, it was like he was floating. He said this, like he was a god. That's how people treat him. And so, again, Nike knowing this, right? And so they market him, they promote him, knowing that you and I will even dress like him. We'll wear his shoes, even. By the way, I've never bought a pair of Jordans in my life. They're all gifts, okay? <laughs> They're all gifts, all right? So let me be clear about that. Some of you are judging me, okay? And uh, I got a, like, a plank eye illustration for you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, they're all gifts. Two pastor friends of mine in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Pastor Tim, Pastor Chad. Uh, watch me preach. They're a great encouragement to me. They're about 10 years older than me, like older brothers. And uh, they're like, oh, man, your sermons have been, like, spot on. This was in the summer. Your sermons have been great recently, spot on. But one thing they said to me, one thing, they said, your shoe game is terrible. Terrible. It's like, you're up there like New Balance. What are you doing? You know. So they drove me to a footlocker and like, you have no choice. This is the first time I've ever worn them. So that, thanks a lot for the gift. Okay. Doesn't mean I don't like them. Doesn't mean that I haven't wanted a pair of these. That would be lying to you. I actually wore them today on purpose. Knowing that I'd be talking about Jordan. Knowing that I've been talking about what we behold, what we, what we, behold, we become knowing that I can fall in this trap as well. The popular preachers, pastors of the day, they dress a certain way. They look a certain way. That's why my pastor friends, I'm calling you out a little bit, said to me, they're actually thinking about my shoes, listening to my sermon. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but again, we do this, right? Because we believe doing so does carry a certain image that we will be viewed in a certain light. What we behold is what we become. We change, we conform to the things we behold. I'll give you one more example of this. I'm sure girls, females in this room, do this just as much, okay? But I'll speak from a guy's perspective. In college, the majority of guys, at least my friends, you know, do this. Um, guys in college, for, they eat like trash, eat like garbage. Stay up really late, play a lot of video games, really irresponsible. I remember we had this like, this is even at Liberty, we do all sorts of crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, you wouldn't believe. Like, we go up on this, like, over these like balconies and like see who could 
chug a gallon of milk the fastest and like throw up. And we had like video of like the streams of the milk coming. It was just crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Shoot each other with blow darts, like like little like blow, crazy. People open the door, you know, right in this, you know, crazy guys in college. Irresponsible, eat like garbage, stay up late, play a lot of video games, act all tough and cool, right? They got it all together. And then one day, for those who do, or maybe after college, one day, they meet the girl. Not a girl, not like one that they go on dates with, but not like the one they want to date, like the one they want to put a ring on. They meet the girl. They're in awe. And guess what? All of a sudden, it's like magic. Things start to change for that guy. They start washing their clothes. <laughs> they buy an iron. They start doing things that they would never do before. And they'll actually, it's a secret. I'm going to tell you, ladies. They not only do those things that they've never done before, they'll actually do them with joy. Guys will... Some of them will go get, like, manicures with their girl. I, don't, I live in California. It happens. They'll watch romantic comedies. They'll go shopping, not just to, not to buy clothes, but to, like, look at clothes. They'll start buying tickets to shows, like a ballet. Some of them start watching TV shows, like, like Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and again, they, they actually like it. They like it. See, we, orient, we reorient our lives around the thing or the things that captivate or capture our hearts, the things that we behold, the things that we love. And so maybe you're here today and you feel stuck. Like you're not becoming the person who you think you should be. Or you know you should be. Maybe you're stagnant in your faith. Listen now. If you want to love like Jesus, care like Jesus, have the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, if you want to become like Jesus, there is a solution, there is a way. Don't watch the world. Watch Jesus. Behold him more than anything, over anything, and you'll become like him. Your life will change. This is why Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think Fix your eyes, your heart on those things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, living like Christ, imitating Christ. You've heard the gospel. He says, practice these things and what will happen? The peace of God will be with you. You want peace. You want transformation. Paul says it's, it's pretty simple. Think about that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, excellent, and worthy of praise. And in reading that list, what I would say, think about Christ, who is the dictionary definition of all those things. Set your heart on Jesus. You know, the psalmists understood this as well. It's why in Psalm 16, it says this, 
I love these words. Magnificent, beautiful. Psalm 16, read it. Okay, read it this afternoon. It says, I have set, I have set the Lord always before me. I, I have set the Lord always before me. In other words, the Lord is always in my vision. That's what he's saying. The, the, the Lord, my, my, my eyes are never off of him. And then he writes, why? Because he is there, he's before me, my heart is glad, and I am not shaken. Or David says in Psalm 27, this is verse 4, David understood this, not just Paul. David understood this too. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, strive after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and not just sit there with him, but what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says, I am striving to stay in the presence of the Lord. I am seeking after this, working towards this, to keep my gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to keep my eyes fixed on his glory and his splendor. Why? Because he is so worthy, right? Yes, he is, but also because when my eyes are there, my life is changed. I find purpose, I find life, I find joy to the full. And let me just say this as well. The Apostle Paul, going back to Paul, he writes these words for us in 2 Corinthians 3. But it was not just a theory for him. Paul writes this with firsthand experience. This is actually his testimony. Paul was living for the world. Paul was living for the things of the world. He was living for power, fame, money, control. Was he a religious person, a religious man? Yes, absolutely, one of the best. But it was all about him. His life was all about him and his own righteousness. He was proud to the point where we know that Paul was even murdering people who were following Jesus and teaching about Jesus. But then what happens to him? Most of you remember the story. If you know the story, Paul is on this road headed towards Damascus. He's on the way there to find and persecute the church, to kill Christians. And on that road, this is Acts chapter 9, Paul literally is knocked off his horse and sees Jesus. Paul sees him in all of his glory. It actually blinds him. But to that, at that point forward, from that point forward, Paul's life was changed. He was transformed. Where Paul was once a persecutor of Christians, Paul becomes an ambassador for Jesus in the gospel. He lived his life attempting to imitate Christ and telling people to do the same. And Paul would even imitate Jesus in his death. He died preaching the truth. Paul saw Jesus. He kept his eyes on Jesus. And as a result, his life changed. And the same goes for the rest of those who walked with Christ, who saw Jesus and truly followed him. This is Peter's story. It's James's story. John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Philip. Read church history. It's Thomas's story. The list goes on and on and on. They saw Jesus. They were in awe of him, beholding him, and that resulted in them 
serving like Jesus, giving like Jesus, loving like Jesus, preaching like Jesus, being beaten like Jesus, and even dying in a similar way as Jesus. And so I think the only question left for us is what about us? What about us? Because for the vast majority of us, we haven't literally seen Jesus face to face. And we likely won't, right? Not until he comes back to earth and returns for the church. So how do we see him now? How do we behold him? And to that, I'll say two things extremely briefly. And some of you won't like the first one. But what you need to do, if you want to behold him and you don't know how, where you need to start is to just pray. Some of you don't like that. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how you should be beholding Christ in this particular season of your life. Ask yourself this question, what do I need to do to see Jesus as beautiful once again? What do I need to do to to get my heart fixed on him to the point of being willing to reorient my mind, my heart, my actions, everything around him? My time, my schedule, everything around him. It's not mine, it's his. What do you need to do to get there? And then... Here's my advice. Find that thing and do that thing. For some of you, it's singing, it's worship. You need to worship more. Maybe it's listening to God's word taught more. Maybe it's looking at nature, like we talked about last week, beholding him in creation. Maybe for some of you, it's spending intentional time with family. What draws your heart towards being in awe of the Lord? Pray about that specifically Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. And then, for those of you who need a definite answer, a concrete answer, like all those things are good, you can and should do all those things, worship, pray, you know, all those things, be with your family, all those things intentionally. But you need something concrete. So here's the one thing you need to do if you want to behold the Lord. You want to see Jesus. It's so simple, but most of us know it's not always easy. Really simple. My first advice, pray about it. My second advice, you need to be in God's word. It's that simple. What's amazing to me is how much access we actually have to Jesus. We have so much access to him. You see, when you and I, when we actually open up this book, when you open up the scriptures, particularly if you open up a place like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By the way, uh, in two weeks, we're actually going to be starting walking to walk through the Gospel of John verse by verse. Okay, we're going to start that. I'm going to start that teaching series over the course of, it'll probably be, ready, a year and a half. Okay, I've already mapped it out and everything. Don't be intimidated. There will be breaks in between. But when we do that, When we open up the Gospels, 
we actually get the opportunity to sit at his feet and listen to his teachings. We learn how he faced opposition. We study his unanswerable wisdom. We observe his tenderness, his care, his compassion. We get a view into how he treated the sick and the poor. We can read how he was patient in his sufferings. We can read about his tears over the lostness of the cities, his love for the glory of the Lord, his deep devotion, his power, his authority over all things. And so it is true, right now, we don't see Jesus. We cannot see him face to face. And yet, and yet, in another sense, we can see him now so clearly at every turn in his word. So what should we do? Open this book. Open it. And as you do, go into it with great expectation, knowing that as you behold Christ in his word, we are not just being informed by it, we're actually being transformed by it. Day by day, step by step, from glory to glory, as you and I look to Christ, we are becoming more like Christ. And in the end, on that glorious day, when we see him face to face, here is the amazing promise. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Hear this. You can receive this if you follow Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Listen, we are on the way there. We are becoming like him step by step as we behold him, when we pray, through observing nature, through our worship, through reading his word. Listen now. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. So today, do you want to see true change in your life? Who doesn't? Not this year, but in the years to come. Do you want more joy? Who doesn't? Do you want to thrive in your workplace? Who doesn't? Do you want to have fruitful, meaningful, fulfilling relationships? Who doesn't? Do you want to grow in your faith? The answer has always been the same, always throughout time. Whatever you behold is what you become. So let's behold Jesus and turn from everything else. Amen? Let me pray for you.